All right. So when my wife, Christine, and I graduated from college, we immediately were jumping in to help plant a church in Wilmington where we were living. Um, I was in seminary working part-time, working at the church for free. Christina had all these different part-time jobs. And I remember often being frustrated, um, not so much that we didn't have a lot of money and we had an extremely tight budget that we were trying to follow, but I would get frustrated when I would think of like my friends who were married or not, were working full-time jobs, and you know everyone's like, well, you know, especially before you have kids, one person works and you save the other person's income. We had friends that were doing that. Now, to be fair, like we did choose kind of the ministry track, so that was kind of our choosing. But I used to be frustrated. Why? Because I was like, we're doing these things and we're honoring God, but it doesn't ever feel like we have enough money. Or we have just enough money for this super tight budget, but we can't ever do anything. And what we're going to look at today, I want us to ask this question as we begin. Have you ever felt like you didn't have enough money? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because the answer is to that is probably yes, but then we feel bad because everyone's going to think like we're super greedy, right? But we've all been there, if we're being honest. We've all been there. So the question is, what do we do when we feel like we don't have enough money? Last week, we started this series called Not Enough, and we're looking at things that we feel like we don't have enough of. So last week, we looked at time. This week, we looked at, we're looking at money. What do we do when we feel like we don't have enough money, and how does the gospel speak into that and even give us some encouragement? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want to give you two disclaimers as we begin. Uh, first, um, we're speaking in generalities today, okay? So you may be in a season where you, because of medical bills or something that happened to you do need a lot of money because you're just in a difficult spot. That's not what we're speaking to this morning. This morning we're speaking to more so this general idea of always feeling like we don't have enough, so what do we do about it? And then a second disclaimer to put you guys at ease, this is not about generosity. I'm not going to ask you to give anything, okay? We do think money's a big deal here. In fact, it's one of our values that grateful people give. We talk about it a lot because Jesus talked about it a lot, but that's not where we're going this morning, okay? So we're looking at the question, what do we do we don't have enough money? Because here's the thing. Here's what we often think. We think if we had enough money, then everything would be okay, right? We think if we had enough money, everything would be okay. We could get out of debt. We could pay any bills that we owe if there's an emergency that happens. Basically, a lot of our problems come from the fact that we don't have enough money. And what I want to propose to you this morning is that that actually may not be true. And so here's what I want us to know just from the very beginning, and stick with me because I'll explain what I mean. But here's what I want us to know, that money isn't actually your greatest need, that money isn't your greatest need. We often kind of think it is because, it's, again, if we had more money, then everything would be okay, but it's actually not your greatest need. Now, I'm not going to Jesus juke you and say, Jesus is your greatest need, not money. Yeah, I, I think that's true, but that's not where we're going this morning, okay? We're going specifically when we feel like we don't have enough money. So money isn't your greatest need. And this is, it's important for us to know this because if you have a problem and you're not sure how to address it, then you can't fix it. So for example, let's say you have a cough, right? And you want to figure out what the problem is. The reason why you have a cough, is it because something's stuck in your throat? Is it because you have a cold? Is it because you have laryngitis? Or is it because you have throat cancer? Like what is causing a cough, especially if you have a lingering cough? And the problem you will find is that if you think the cause of your cough is something that isn't actually the cause of your cough and you're trying to fix this solution, your cough won't go away because you're not addressing the problem head on. You're not addressing the problem head on. And so here, here's, the, here, here's why this is important. Because when you think something else is the problem, you can't fix it. Right? If you don't know what the problem is, you can't address it. And so if we think that money is the problem, and so we're going to try to do things to acquire more money or to make us feel less stressed out about money, 
but then we still have the same issues. We can't address it. So this morning, again, this is why I want us to know starting out that money isn't your greatest need, because if we think money is our greatest need, we're going to be chasing after it, and we're going to still be left with all of our same problems. So money isn't our greatest need. And so here's what I would say it is, and then we'll talk and see what the scripture has to say about it. But money is not our greatest need. Here's why it's important for us to know, because it's not money we want. It's assurance. It's not money that we ultimately want. It's assurance. And we think money is our ticket to be assured that everything will be okay. We want to know ultimately that everything is going to be okay. Because for most of us, if we're being honest and we're talking about money, most of us, it's not necessarily a greed thing. It's not like we want to have a ton of money so we can take all these awesome vacations and do all these things. I mean, sure, that would be nice. But most of us feel like we don't have enough money and would like more money so that we can take care of debt or bills or college for our kids or whatever the situations that you may be facing, we think if we had money, then everything would be okay. But what I would propose to you this morning is that it's not money, it's assurance. And and I think ultimately assurance is one of the biggest things that we just want in life in general, and we think money can get it for for us. So I'll give you an example from my life. Like for me, when we went out, when we started out planting New City Church, you know, New City Church is about a year and a half old, and so a couple years ago, when we started the process and things weren't going the way that we wanted to, and we were getting, you know, a lot of no's, and you know, we weren't able to raise funds, and we, our team wasn't building. Right, I remember getting really frustrated and just being like, God, if I knew that it would be that New City would actually end up starting and everything would be okay, I would be okay with like this rejection and discouragement, right? If I knew that everything would work out then I would be okay with the difficulties. Why? Because I wanted to to be assured that what I wanted to happen would actually happen. So maybe that's for you, like maybe choosing a career or in a relationship, if something's rocky, not going the way you want it to go. I think we often think if we just knew that everything would be okay, then we would be okay about it. And so I want to read a passage real quick in James chapter 4. It'll be on the screen. You can flip there if you want to, but you don't have to. We read this last week when we were talking about time, but I think it's also relevant when we're talking about money. Because again, we want assurance, and ultimately we want to be in control, and we think money will give us the control that we need to make sure everything in our life will be okay. Here's what James has to say in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Now again, what, John, what James is saying here is not that you can't plan for the future, but if you live like whatever you're going to wanting to do is going to happen, if you live like you are going like you are in control, well, that'll set you up for failure because you are not in control. And here's what's interesting: whether or not you're a Christian or not, no matter what you believe about Jesus, if we're all honest, we all would say, "Yes, we're not in control." You could be super healthy, but that is not necessarily going to stop you from getting cancer or getting a heart attack. Or you could drive home today and get in an accident, and it's completely not your fault at all. And so what we need to understand is that ultimately we are not in control, and we want money because we think if we have more money, then we'll be in control. It reminds me, a couple weeks ago, we, we, I went with a team here at New City Church to Guatemala, and we were with some of the most poor, the most poorest conditions that you can imagine. And I remember like getting this kind of refreshing feeling being around these people and hearing these stories, because when you're around people who have nothing, kind of the facade that, that they're in control isn't there. Right? Like the more that we have, the more we kind of get frustrated if things don't go our way. The more that we have, the more we, we, uh, we think incorrectly that we're in control. But when you're around people that aren't in control, that facade isn't there. And they're a lot more honest about their life and their need for God and everything. And so I would even say this. The only thing that's worse um, than thinking that you're in control 
is realizing that you're not. And let me give you a really personal example of what I mean by this. So there's one, it's one thing to think you're in control. It's another thing to think you're in control and then realize you're not, okay? So I don't know if anyone has ever experienced this, but has anyone ever played Mario Kart? Okay, here we go. So I know some of you guys will like this. If you don't know what Mario Kart is, here we go. If you don't know what Mario Kart is, it's a video game, and it's like been around forever, and all the, all the systems have it, and it's a racing game. And how it works is you have either 8 or 12 people, and you're driving, and if you're in the, there's, there's, there's these power-ups that you get as you're driving, right? And if you're nor, more towards the front, the power-ups that you get aren't as good as if you're in the back, right? So if you're like losing, it helps you out to kind of catch back up. And there is one power-up that's the worst of all of them, especially if you're in first place, and that is the blue shell. Okay, and so here's who gets the blue shell. The only person that really ever gets the blue shell is someone who's in last or close to last. And here's how the blue shell works. The blue shell works where you shoot this shell and it skips everybody except the person who is in front and then it kind of lands on you and it makes you blow up. And the thing that's frustrating about this blue shell is that it kind of tells you that it's coming. It's got this like little thing above your guy and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't go faster. You can't like have some, sh there's nothing that you can do to stop it from hitting you. And let me just tell you, this blue shell has ruined friendships because all you do when you're driving around and you're literally about to win, right? You think you're in control, then all of a sudden, bam, and four people pass you right at the end. I promise I'm not, I, I don't have any issues with that, but it was, it's frustrating, right? Because you think you're like, oh, I think I'm good, I'm in control, and then you realize you're not, and you're super frustrated about it. Or, you know, I, there's this other game growing up called NFL Blitz that I, re I really liked. It's like this arcade football game, and the first version of it makes it so that whoever was winning, pretty much it always came back to, down to whoever, whoever had the ball last, last would win, because if you're winning by a lot, it would make you, like, fumble or throw interceptions, and so I hated it, because I had no control over whether or not I was going to win, right? And so it's better just to know that we are not in control. And here's why. Because when we know what we need, we'll know what to do. And here's what I mean by that. When we know that what, what we need, what we ultimately need is, an, is assurance, not money, then we'll, we'll know what to do, which is find out where or who can actually give us that assurance. Because it can't be money. Money will not give us what we need. We need to find out what can actually give us what we need. Because here's the problem. Here's the problem with thinking that money will give us what we need, that money will solve all of our problems. You'll have one or two problems if that's your perspective on money. One is that if we think money is our issue and if we had enough money, we'd be okay, then you'll always be stressed out because you may never have enough. You may never get to the point where you actually have enough money to pay all your bills and to know like without a shadow of a doubt that everything is going to be okay with you. So you're always going to be stressed out because you're chasing something that's going to make you feel better, but you're never actually going to get there. So that's one problem with thinking that money is what we ultimately need. The other problem is if you are fortunate enough to get to the place where you actually get enough money, then you will find that you still have all of your problems. And, right, and we know this. Right? We see people that are famous and we make, they make a lot of money and then their life spirals out of control. Or this week I was reading, I was reading some stories of people that have won the lottery. Right? And that's the ultimate like don't have enough money to having enough money. And it was story after story after story of people saying not only – do they wish that they hadn't won the lottery, but their life is actually worse now because they did. Because they thought all of my problems, everything would be okay if I just had enough money. They were, as we might think, fortunate enough to experience having enough money. And the majority of lottery winners would say this was the worst thing that has ever happened to me. So if we know we need assurance and it's not going to come from money, then we'll know what we need to do. We need to find someone who is in control. And so here's what I would say that we need to do this morning when it comes to money and wanting to feel like we don't have enough money and thinking that money is going to give us what we need. And that's this, that we need to know who is in control. 
So if money is not going to give us what we need, and if money is not going to do for us what we think it will, we need to find someone who actually can give us what we need. And I would just say this. I don't think it's necessarily, necessarily a bad thing to want to be okay. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to say, I want things to be okay. I want to know that things are going to be okay. I think that's a human desire that is pointing us, as, we, as I would argue, towards God, because it's showing us that we need to know who's in control if we're not. And so what we would say this morning is that if we're not in control and having enough money is not going to fix all your problems, then we need to know the one who is in control. We actually need to know God because if he controls everything and everything goes by his uh, allowing or doing, and he's the one that loves us and cares for us, then we need to know him because that'll change how we face this feeling of not having enough money. I want to read a passage in Matthew. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there or take one of the black ones that's in front of you. Um, This is in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, This is kind of in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's his longest recorded sermon in the Gospels. And he's basically talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, what does it mean to honor God and follow God in your life? And before this section that we're going to read, he's talking about money and how you can't serve two masters and how you either trust God ultimately or you trust money. And he's telling us to lean on and trust in God, not in money. And here's why. Here's why we should trust God and not money. Here's what he says starting in verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, I would say that would be great. How do we not, how how do we do that, right? How do we not worry about all these things that we think money can do for us? Wouldn't it be great if we could actually live without this constant stress and worry about how things are going to work out? He gives us two examples of why we should trust him. Verse 26, this is the first one. He says, consider the birds of the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? This is a rhetorical question here because what he's saying is if God will provide for the birds, won't he provide for you? And so I just want you, us, all of us to know this morning, regardless about what you think about God or your relationship with God or how God views you, you need to know that God cares for you. This is why it's important for us to know him because he cares for you. He continues, verse 27, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Again, the answer to that question would be, no, you can't. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? Otherwise, or observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. In other words, what he's saying there is Solomon was the richest people that's ever lived. And Solomon, did he, if you look at how God has adorned the flowers and the fields, and you see how magnificent and beautiful that is, he's saying if God's going to do that for them, that means he cares for you and you can trust him. Verse 30, if God's, again, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear, For the Gentiles, in that sense, he's talking about people who do not know God, eagerly seek all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What he's saying here is he's not saying that we shouldn't plan. He's not saying that we shouldn't care. He's saying that we shouldn't worry. And how do we not do that? It's not enough just to know who is in control, which is God, but he's telling us to trust him. In other words, we need to trust who is in 
control. He's saying if we trust who is in control, that is how we live a life of less worry because we know that he cares for us and we know that he desires for us to uh, know him and, and experience life the way that he designed us to experience. And I'll, it's interesting here, when he says trust who's, when we say trust who's in control, I want to make sure they're all on the, on the same page of what that actually means and see how when we trust who is in control, that actually changes uh, how much we worry. Here is trust defined. This is a Webster's Dictionary. I know a lot of people don't know what a dictionary is because we don't actually have them anymore. But I Googled it, and Webster's Miriam Dictionary, I think that's like the pristine, right, one of the best ones. Here's how Webster's defines trust. They say this, trust is assured reliance, in other words, assurance, on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. Again, trust is the sure reliance on the character, strength, ability, uh, or truth of someone or something. In other words, as we trust someone and we actually know that they can do what they've said that they can do, it reduces the amount of worry we have. In other words, trust kills worry. The more you trust in something, the less you worry about the potential outcomes. Like I'll give you an example. When I was a kid growing up, my dad didn't travel that often for work, but there were a few times that he did. And when he would travel, I don't know why I'd always assume that we were going to get broken into when he was gone. If he lived in Cary, like you can leave your door unlocked in Cary, nothing ever happens to you there. It's like, I don't know if it still is, but growing up, it was always one of the top 10 safest places to live in all of the United States, okay? And so I always had this irrational fear that if someone were to break in, when my dad was gone, I was really worried. But when my dad was home, I was not as worried. Why? Because I trust, trusted that he would be able to take care of the situation. Like if someone broke in, it would be kind of scary either way. But because I trusted that my dad would take care of the situation, like maybe a lot of kids do, it reduced the worry that I had. I, I never like ever thought about going to sleep at night and worrying at all when my dad was home. But when he was not home, because I trusted him to keep our family safe, I worried. And this is the same thing that, that, uh, that Jesus is telling us and talking about when it comes to money here. That if we, the more that we trust in God and that he cares for us, the less that we will worry. Now, I, this all may sound well and good to you, but I want uh, to be honest a little bit about a situa- uh, what you may be thinking or a situation you may be in. You may be sitting here and thinking, okay, that makes sense. That's great. As I, if I trust God more, that means that my worry, I will worry less because I know that he cares for me. And that being said, here's what we also need to know this morning, that knowing God and trusting God won't fix your situation, but it will change how you face it. You may be sitting here and be like, that's great. But when I walk out of these doors today, I still have crippling student loan debt. I still have medical bills. I still have kids. I I have all these things, and I don't know how the situation that I'm currently in is going to resolve itself. So that's great that I'm supposed to trust God, but is it going to fix my situation? And to that, I would probably say no. Your situation, just by trusting God more, does not mean it's going to change as soon as you walk out the door, but ultimately it will change how you face the situation. And this is what worry is, right? This is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about worrying and worrying less or not worrying at all. It doesn't mean your situation will change, but it means how you face it will be different. I want to give you an example of how how I've seen this play out recently in our church. The the size that our church is currently, it's great, but a lot of us know each other, right? So sometimes it's hard for me to give examples of things that are going on without everyone be like, who is he talking about? So I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to tell you who I'm talking about just from the beginning, so everyone's on the same page. And I also didn't ask the permission, and that's okay, because I think this is good enough to share. Okay, so we have a family in our church, the Naylors. Chrissy was singing here this morning. That's right. Awesome. Ryan and Chrissy are awesome if you know them. They have four awesome kids, so they have a large family. 
right? And recently they had to move out of the house they were renting. And when you have four kids, it makes it really hard to find another place to live because that's a lot to think about. And sometimes people don't say this because it's like illegal. But when you have four kids, they kind of like, well, I don't want four kids in the house that I'm renting because they're going to destroy it which may be true, maybe not. I don't know. I don't have four kids. But that's maybe. Anyway, okay, that's beside the point, right? So here's what happened. They had to leave by the end of the month. Essentially, by the end of this month, they had to leave. And they're in our community group. And to kind of put your mind at ease, last week they were able to find a place and move in, and it was awesome. But I remember going, you know, it was like two months until they had to be kicked out. One month until they had to be kicked out. And there was this kind of like calm about the situation. Like I remember asking them or asking Ryan, like because the guys and the girls split up at our community group for prayer requests to spend some time alone. I'm like, Ryan, like tell me how it really is. Like if I were you, I would be freaking out right now because I've got three weeks to find a place. Otherwise me and my four kids, we don't know where we're going to go. And as we were talking to them and, and seeing them, every time they talked about it, they kind of said, yeah, you know, like, we're, you know, we hope something is going to get resolved, but we trust God. Like, trust God that he's going to provide and he's going to do what he wants to do. And we're going to trust him in that. And I remember just listening to how they talked about it and watched how they handled the situation. And I remember thinking to myself, that's Matthew 6 right there. It's not that they didn't care. It's not that they didn't worry at all, right? Because we're all people. We all fall short. We all still worried. But they faced the situation differently. Why? Because they trusted who was in control. And hear me, I, I don't know. I, I pretty much know this without asking. I don't think they wanted to move out of the house that they were in. They didn't want to move. They didn't want to deal with the hassle of that. They loved the location they were at. So trusting God does not always mean that it will go the way that you want it to go, that you will get everything that you want to get. It does not mean that at all, but it does mean that he is good and that he cares. And when we do that, it changes how we face the situation. When we trust God and we know, know God and actually trust God, it changes how we face the situation. Again, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't prepare. But when we have this overwhelming feeling of I don't have enough money and if I just had enough money, everything would be okay, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And what God is telling us to do is to trust him. He's telling us to trust in his goodness and his care for us. That does not mean your situation will end the way you want it to end, but it will change how you face it. And that's ultimately what worry does, right? None of us can add an hour to our lives by worrying. And so he's telling us, instead of worrying, trust me. And that being said, here's the bottom line really for this morning, what I want us to take away from what we're talking about this morning, especially when it comes to money, and that's this, that assurance comes from knowing who is in control. Assurance does not come from having a ton of money, right? Because as you have more money, what happens? Everybody wants more money, right? There's no one, most people would never say they have enough money. And so we're always chasing money. We always think this is going to fix our situation. Whether and, and not to say it won't. Like, I'll be honest. Like, if someone gave me a $10,000 check, I'd be like, this would be great. This would fix some of the stuff that I, I want to do or accomplish. You'd probably be like, yes. And so it's not to say that money won't help, but it won't fix your heart. It won't fix ultimately the desire that we always, want, we always won't have enough. We always want to be in control. What God is saying is lean in and trust in to me. And when we do that, we can do what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to flip there. In Philippians chapter 4, uh, Paul is talking about this idea of trusting God and what happens when we do that, when we place God first, when you trust him even in the midst of difficult situations. And here's what he says. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And then he says this, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And how does that happen? I think it's interesting. Again, he says that we should do this in verse 6, that in everything, in prayer, petition, make your request known to God. Sometimes in my experience, I have found that even though we want God to move, and even though we want God to do something, I just want to be honest, especially if you're a follower of Christ this morning, we want God to do something, and then we get frustrated that that he doesn't, or that he's not providing, but we haven't spent any time pleading before God for him to do it. We may say before I go to bed, God, you know, I need a new car. Do something about this car. Or God, we we want a new house. Or God, this debt. But we don't actually take any God on our knees pleading for him to move. And what Paul is saying, as we do that, A, it's just good for us to actually, I don't think it's fair for us to be frustrated to God we actually never asked him to really move like Peter before him. But also it changes our hearts. It allows us to know God is good and we, we can care for him and that we can trust him. And the only way that we can have peace that surpasses all understanding is by trusting that he is good and that we can that he will do what he wants to do, that he will provide in the way that he sees fit, and that will change how we worry. It'll change how we fix the situation. And this is how the gospel speaks to money. This is how the gospel speaks to this idea that I'm never going to have enough money. Because the gospel is that Jesus came to earth to live the perfect life that we could not live, to give his life for us. Why? Because he cares for us. See, Matthew chapter 6 isn't some empty phrase. And as we gather and we worship Jesus, like we don't, we don't do this to make ourselves feel better. Like we don't do this to come here today and be like, well, I'm stressed out about money. I'm going to go and feel better when I walk out. No, we do this because it's true that God cares for you so much so that he came to give his life for you and for me, which means we actually can trust him. It does not mean the situation will turn out the way we want it to turn out, but it does mean that we can trust him. And as a side note, what's really awesome, especially if we're talking about money, is that in heaven, uh, the Bible says the streets are paved with gold. And so I don't think that's going to be a problem there, that none of our worries and fears are, are going to come with us in God's kingdom. So we, that, we do have that hope to look forward to. But even in this life, the gospel is this, that God came and did everything necessary for us to have a relationship with him, that he came and he lived and he died for us because he loved us, which means it's not up to us, but it's up to him. I love what Tim Keller says, who's a pastor and theologian in in New York City. He says this, it'll be on the screen. He says, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Here's what this means. That if we think money, I'm going to believe in money, and I'm just going to say, if I have enough money, everything in my life is going to be okay. That won't actually save you. But weak faith in a strong branch, in other words, it's not how 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 much we love God or how maybe how much we feel close to God in the moment. But it's what he, but what he has done for us. That's what actually saves you. It's like this. If you're sitting in a chair, and let's say the chair has three legs, right? And so it's not going to hold you no matter, no matter, no matter what. You can, you can have all the confidence in your mind that this chair is going to hold me. But if the chair is not strong enough, it doesn't matter how much faith you have in it. And I think this is, to me, this speaks to money. It doesn't matter how much faith that we have, if we have enough money that everything's going to be okay, ultimately it will leave, let us down. We either won't ever have enough money, so we're always stressed out, or we'll get enough money, we'll realize that it does not answer our deepest questions and problems in our life. And what this quote reminds us of, is it's not about us and what we do, it's about him and what, he, what Christ has done for us. So even if we don't feel it, even if we're living in a season of worry, we can still trust him Because what he has done for us, again, the bottom line this morning is this, that assurance comes from knowing who is in control. Assurance comes from knowing and trusting God. Not ourself, not what we think we can do, not trying to fix all of our problems on our own, but knowing and trusting him. And as we know and trust him more, we worry less. 
And as we know and trust him more, we have more peace that surpasses all understanding. And as we know and trust him more, we see that his plan is better than our own. And you may be in a situation here this morning where you're going to walk out of here. And I don't know all of our situations. And you may not know, literally, by the end of this month, how you're going to pay your bills. You may not know how it's all going to work out. And to that, I would say, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know what that means for you, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to cling to Jesus. I want you to trust in Jesus. Because what's interesting about when things don't go the way that we want them to go, that's often when we uh, kind of glow or grow or lean into Jesus more than we ever have. Sometimes God allows us to go through things so that we can see that he actually is the only one that can solve our heart's deepest problems. And so if that's you this morning and you're in a situation where not just that it would be nice to have more money, but you're like, no, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. It is weighing me down. It is stressing me out. Here's just what I would encourage you to do, to, leak, to, seek, to seek God, to know God, and to trust in him. And as we trust in God more, what he has done for us, that he cares for us, we worry less. It won't fix your situation. It won't make everything the way that you want it to be today, but it'll change how you face it. And that's the good news of the gospel, that God came because to serve and to save and to love us who did not deserve it. So when things don't go our way, it's not about what we do or trying to measure up. It's about what Christ has done for us. And if you're here today and you're feeling the weight of not having enough money, I don't have an answer for you, but I want you to know that Jesus cares. And we know that Jesus cares because he came. And if Jesus didn't come, then, then what hope do we have at all? He came, which means we may not understand why we're going through what we're going through. You may not understand why your finances are the way they are because you're trying everything that you can. But what you need to know is it's not that Jesus doesn't care because if Jesus didn't care, he wouldn't have come, which means that we can know him. We can know him because of what Jesus has done for us, that he came to make himself known, and we can trust him because he is good. It won't fix your situation, but it will change how you face it when you trust him more. And that's the hope that Jesus has given to us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you that in the midst of life's uncertainties and in the midst of life's difficulties, that you are still good, even if we don't feel it, even if we're in a situation where we're confused on how it's going to work out. Um, you never get mad at us. You never reprimand us for worrying or for not trusting you. Instead, you simply invite us back to you over and over again. God, I pray for those of us today who may be feeling the pressure of not having enough money, maybe feeling the pressure of not sure how their finances are going to work the next month or two months or the next year, that, that we would use this situation to learn and to trust in you more. Because ultimately, hope is not found in having a ton of money and getting everything we want. Hope, hope is ultimately only found in you. And grace and forgiveness is ultimately only found in you. And it is only when we know you and when we trust you that we can walk out with assurance that even if things don't go the way we want them to go, that we can still trust you because you are good and you will provide. Again, it might not be the ways that we would have thought best, but you are good and you, you can provide. And so my prayer for all of us this morning is that we would trust you more, that we would allow you and your goodness to speak into our situation of feeling like we don't have enough resources. And although that's a very real and tangible thing, God, you call us to follow and trust in you because you are good. So again, my prayer for us today is that we would follow and trust in you because you are good, because you came to give your life for us. And so when we feel like we don't have enough money, and we may not have enough money, but we can't have enough of you, and ultimately you are the one that's most important. So my prayer for us, if we're in a situation where we feel like we don't have enough, that we would use this time 
to learn and to trust in you that you would grow our faith even more so we can do what Matthew 6 says, live a life, maybe not free of worry, because in this life, we probably none of us will get there, but a life of less stress and less worry because you're good, because you're good. God, thanks for coming and sending your son and making it possible for us to know you and to trust you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.